HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to this installment of the Farm Report. It's Friday. That means it's the Farm Report. Heather here. Lorenzo. Adam Horwich. How you doing? Ben Fallner. Ben Flanner, excuse me. We are in Bushwick broadcasting from underneath a rooftop garden, so we couldn't think of more apropos guests than some of the city's leading rooftop agriculturalists. Um, Thank you. And so, so... Um, ben is working on the Greenpoint Rooftop Farm, is that right? Yes. Which has been all over the news. If you read the newspaper or read New York Magazine, you've probably come across it. And Adam is working on an avant-garde kiddie pool rooftop gardening technique that he's going to share with us. And he's working as a consultant and he's working and he's teaching classes. Um, but basically, we have two of the personalities at the forefront of what will soon become the newest extension of American agriculture into the urban landscape. So why don't you guys tell us, Ben, why don't you tell me how you went from E-Trade, which is seemingly E-Trade marketing, which couldn't be more dissimilar from what you're doing now to your current enterprise, which is blowing up. (laughs) Well, uh, well, I studied engineering. That was my background. Um, Finished college about five or six years ago. And I've worked in a series of jobs that both required a fair amount of math and stuff like that. And uh, But I've always been really interested in food. And uh, basically for the past two years or so, I've been kind of just carefully plotting my next move, you know, keep an eye out for opportunities or whatever. Just I knew no I, I knew. No pun intended there with the plot. <laughs> <laughs> plotting, <laughs> planting the seeds. <laughs> uh, but I knew I'd end up doing something different and um, keeping an eye out for things. And I was very interested in food. I've been canning, pickling, making hot sauce, um, making salsa for a long time, uh, making bitters, doing cocktail parties cool. and underground supper clubs and stuff like really? that. Really? So for someone that knew me, it wasn't quite as random of a move as sure. it might sound like on paper. Right, Sure, definitely. sure. Um, what about you, Adam? Uh, well, I guess, uh, yeah, my background is not directly involved in farming or uh, anything like that uh, until about three years ago. 
and before that i was working at this pr company in midtown and uh sort of similar to ben i guess and uh um i i've always been interested in food and environmental issues and um sort of urban planning and uh I was uh, part of a peak oil group and uh, in New York City, and we put together a um, a conference. And I learned about permaculture at the conference. This was in 2006 in the spring at Cooper Union. And um, permaculture is uh, it's a regenerative regenerative design uh, design system. I think that's the best way to describe it. Okay. And one of the things that these permaculturalists uh, talked about was. Um, it was rooftop gardening, rooftop farming, and the potential for it. And so I just sort of got bit by a bug at that point, and I went off that summer and studied permaculture in Ithaca. And uh, oh, I used to I used to live in Ithaca. Oh, okay. Never looked back. Yeah, yeah. and it's uh, and there uh, that, that was one of the places that was you know back three years ago even it wasn't as common uh, permaculture design courses and stuff. Now Ithaca they have it in the gorgeous. Cities. That's that's what they that's what the t-shirts say. The, uh, <laughs> so, um, so permacul- a trendy t-shirt. So sorry. basically, permaculture might be a synonym for sustainable farming. Yeah, that's part of permaculture. It's, okay. Uh, what are some of the other? T- just assume I know nothing. What is for the layperson? What does permaculture mean? Permaculture. It started in Australia in the seventies, and it's still that's where it's strongest. Is Australia, New Zealand? I think is where it's sort of more of a you know common notion over there. And uh, it started as permanent agriculture. And, uh, but now other aspects of culture have sort of been infused into it. So it's really permanent culture. Mm-hmm. People talk about permaculture, and, uh, like architecture and, you know, alternative monetary systems and stuff like mm. that. So it's become a model for sustainable economy, sustainable yeah. agriculture, sustainable building. Yeah, and, and sustainable, and they say it's beyond sustainable, it, you know, regenerates. So mm-hmm. it's like... Sustainability. So its own existence, yeah. in, its own existence, prepares for and allows for its persistence, its continuation. Yeah, it's it's about you know human beings having a positive influence, uh, you know, on the environment, rather than sort of this choice between being you know negative pe- polluters and being like no impact, do nothing. You know, it's sort of that you can have this, you can be just as positive as we have been negative in the past. So it's super green. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. Definitely appeals to people who want to be super green. I think <laughs> I gotcha. So Ben, why don't you tell us a little bit about <clears throat> how you started this project? I mean, it's such a massive undertaking. Sure, which we've the- even yet to mention the title of. What is the title of your project? It's called Rooftop Farms. Rooftop Farms in Greenpoint, yeah. Brooklyn. That is Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Yep, it's on Eagle Street in the northwest corner of Greenpoint which is a great community to start a project like this. I found all the neighbors have been really supportive and enthusiastic and people have been stopping by and restaurants all over the, the papers and I coffee mean, shops. Yeah. As soon as I tried to scratch the surface of it, it was like, boom, <laughs> a list of New York Times articles, New York Magazine articles. I mean, I'm not surprised that this has caught so much attention. Yeah. It's such a revolutionary idea. Yeah, and, and to be honest, the, the attention and the energy and the enthusiasm from people has been very motivating to keep me you know, to keep me motivated. We're getting emails from people just with really congratulatory, really positive words, and uh, and it That's feels awesome. good, you know. Of course. It, it definitely drives you. You're doing something you can feel good about, and you're providing a service for the community and yourself and, you know, the environment as a whole. So. Yeah. Um, now, where does your rooftop garden sit above? Well, it sits above a warehouse. A warehouse. It's owned by Broadway Stages, which is a 
um, film and lighting company, staging company in Greenpoint. They own several properties. And, um, yeah, they were um, generous enough to provide the resources to put up the soil on the on the roof. And Did um, you pitch them or did they pitch you? Like, how did you guys meet? Well, I... I guess well to back up and back up a notch mm-hmm. um, into last summer, I became very interested in agriculture, and like I was just saying, I was very interested in food for a while, and um, started visiting lots of farms and just really feeling the life and the vitality, you know, just looking at everything from the the many ecosystems, the circular systems, and started reading about reading books about agriculture and farming, and decided around I suppose late last summer that I wanted to work on a farm this year, and. Um, <laughs> And then just and then uh, actually it was it was through a lot of support of really good friends. I, I really have to credit them for changing my mind that like I wasn't really ready to leave New York either. Mm-hmm. So I became really just digging around and brainstorming ideas and making little jot lists of like how could I do some urban farming? And I had done a little bit of urban, I'd say gardening um, in the East Village last summer, and it was also very motivating as well. Although it was mm-hmm. you know just like. It's just doing it yourself, like actually seeing something, like, you know, create and Mm -hmm. be able to then taste it or look at it afterwards, all that. Yeah, it was was fun. So, um, and then it was a well-timed email that I sent to Good Green, which is a green Yeah, we spoke to Annie. Annie, yeah. Yeah, on Green, that's who she works with, right? Yeah, well, Annie Annie works with me, but Good Green is the the company that um, installed the rooftop. Uh Uh-huh. And um, they have a really awesome green roof on their place in Soho in Manhattan. And they started a business, I believe, last summer, de- developing other roofs. Uh, basically saying this, I think the, the conversation they had was like, this is so fun. And it would be, there's a huge environmental um, benefit, especially to the city in terms sure. of dealing with sewage, runoff, water, and everything. Um, so they started a business and then um, they got some great PR last summer. I saw one of them and uh, saw an article and, and emailed them, and they, and, uh, they responded within a day. And, and basically, and I, my email said, I'm interested in what you do, but I'm thinking about a scaled-down version, you know, without any architects involved, with, without anything um, fancy, just putting down soil on top of a green roof and then farming it. Totally productive and, you know, more on the efficient side, like farming. And um, they had been coincidentally thinking about the same thing, responded very quickly, and then we had some meetings. And um, and they had already been in touch with Broadway Stages. They had been Broadway Stages uh, had expressed okay. interest in doing a green roof. Oh. They hadn't worked out all the details or anything. But then, as a function of the conversations we had, and um, you know other concurring events, um, the green roof that Broadway Stages was thinking about putting up evolved into let's just farm it, and then. Um, you know, then the farmers will take care of all the maintenance of the roof, and then we'll just leave them alone and see if um, we're basically attempting to try to see if we can create like something that's viable to continue on into the future, where you can pay yourself off of what you can sell. Aside from just eat. Yeah, aside from feed yourself. So, so the city is trying. The city is trying to implement countless green roofs around. Manhattan and the outer boroughs, but this performs the double function of farming and and green roof. I mean, it absorbs it absorbs rainfall, it, it insulates the building, right? It performs every function that a normal green w- roof would, plus provides food. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, it's a little bit more demanding on the soil, and it requires a lot of labor and and um, you know other things associated with farming. But uh, yeah, it has tons of different benefits to the community. 
if we can make it work. So last fall, when I started talking to Good Green, I got in touch with Annie Novak, who you just mentioned a second ago, and um, we've partnered up on the project, and um, we're making it happen so far. Awesome. So Adam, when you install one of your kiddie pool roofs, I mean, does that make the roof green, or does it does it make it sort of half green in terms of water absorption and insulation, or what's the difference between the kind of the kind of project that you do and mm-hmm. and Ben's? I guess you know there's there's a lot of differences, there's a lot of similarities. It, it depends what you how you define green, you know, um, and what your goals are, and I think that the more intensively you plant you plant a roof sort of the deeper the soil uh the more vigorous plants that you have up on the roof the more the more green it gets and uh generally food crops are some of the most aggressive most vigorous uh you know plants we have so it's really growing food crops really makes the roof function like a green roof should um a lot of the green roof spring being planted now don't do it at what they're advertised as doing. You know, really? a lot of them. So it's just a, tr- a flimsy trend or a flimsy. I fad. mean, t- it's it's all it's all you know relative, and I think that. But you know, green roofs that are they're sort of that are planted with very thin soils, just a couple inches, planted with sedums, which are like high altitude succulents. You know, they're mm-hmm. uh, they're sort of advertised as you know zero maintenance, um, <laughs> and it seems like what people are trying to do is you know retain uh and and or detain water for stormwater runoff and then cool the building down and you know and cool the surrounding area down those are sort of the three main things greeners are supposed to do and you know these types of greeners don't really work that well on any of those levels um especially cooling down the building who are the people that are trying to kind of like half-fast it are these like landlords or supers or Uh, i mean i don't really know i mean i just know (laughs) that there's a lot of interest in this these things are getting built very quickly it doesn't mean that you shouldn't build it. It doesn't mean that it won't do some of these things. It won't do it, you know, it won't be like, it's not like a, you know, it won't have some benefit. But, you know, it's quite expensive. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if you're, basically, one of the reasons I think that they're not functioning the way they should is because they're being sold as sort of maintenance free. And mm-hmm. you don't even have to, you know, you can look at it sometimes. You don't even have to go up there. You shouldn't walk on it, you know. Is anything really maintenance free? I, I mean, it's, <laughs> they are low maintenance. You know, they, they are relatively, you know, you don't have to go up there a lot. And um, you don't have to water it, you know, supposedly. And uh, <laughs> But the thing is, I think that that's not the way, it, I think it should be sold as something that people should be involved with and they should take some responsibility uh-huh. for. And if people are willing to go up there, even just like once a week, like, you know, if you have an apartment building, uh, or an office building or something, and you know you could easily get some people to go up there. You know, once every couple of day, do a little watering. Just I you know, wish I had it. access to my room. Yeah, you know, you know, there's so many people who would be who'd, who'd love to do that. And so I think that then you can grow food crops. You can have you know uh, n- you know local native grasses and things like things that are just uh, will do more of the. Um, I'm specifically talking about the uh, the cooling properties of green roofs. You know, that'll sort of. Basically, something that uses more water will cool faster. And these uh, these sort of high-altitude desert plants, they're designed for an environment with not a lot of water. So they don't need a lot of water, but they won't use a lot of water either. So they won't, you know, cool the building down, like, you know, the way people expect them to. So basically, the greenest kind of roof is a rooftop farm. I think in, so. In, not only in the sense that it performs the normal functions of a green roof, but it also allows for the city to go locavore. Yeah, it's just that much on top of it, of, of the whole system. Right. Definitely. Yeah. So you were talking about the expenses of green roofs and the price. Why do you think that last year, 
seemed to be the biggest boom year for urban farming and for green roofs in a time of economic slowdown. How do you reconcile those two seemingly disparate? I, th- I think it's all part of um, is, I, I th- partially why people are blaming the economic slowdown, and you know, and it's partially because of really blown up consumerism and lack of regard for um, sustainability issues, particularly energy is probably the the biggest buzzword so there. It's backlash. And uh, yeah, I think it's partially backlash, and it's all, and it's um, people becoming really aware of the fact that peop- that they're going to have to change their habits, and um, and you know all these small incremental things. Once once people really start getting momentum towards them, then they'll really start to add up. Yeah, I mean it's so important so, for people to re- kind of retaliate against what they don't know. And if you don't know where your food is coming from, I mean, what do you what do you know? You're, this is something you're putting into your body every day. Yeah, in terms of, and that's a whole other you know, issue is the, the, you know, the food and industrialization and mass production of food, and then also green roofs, but they're all com- connected. Definitely. So you think in sort of a counterintuitive way, the economic slowdown has inculcated into people's heads the fact that the, the current status quo might be highly erroneous. Definitely. And therefore, think- that has had a ripple, has had a trickle-down effect, and has made them consider these previously... <laughs> Radical ideas, yeah, I think such that's, as urban farms. So you know, yeah, so, it sounds very logical. So it's kind of like you know, it's kind of like an organism damaging one part of its body and then reinforcing it through healing. Makes sense. Yeah. So how how would someone else get started? What do you think? What do you guys think? How would how 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 would you how do you um, get how do you get people started when you teach? Like, what do you teach? How does? Well, I mean, it's. If you okay, let's say you live, you know, in an apartment building in New York, you know, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, wherever, and uh, you do have access to your roof. You can go up there with a, you know, an eight dollar little plastic kiddie pool, mm-hmm. as long as it's not the inflatable kind, you know, the mm-hmm. hard plastic. Uh, you get them at Toys R Us, and you can take some, um, you know, and you get that. Then you get some lightweight soil. You can buy that, you know, at a garden center. I use like fifty percent perlite. Uh, which is, you know, I mean, this, it's maybe not the, the, the best way to go, the most sustainable, the sort of gold standard, but it's easy to get, relatively inexpensive. And then I put, you know, you could do like another quarter peat moss and then another quarter compost. And you can play around with it. And then you can plant, you know, basically almost any annual vegetable that we eat, you know, from tomatoes to melons to eggplants, lettuce, you know, everything. So basically for about $50, people can set up a, a kiddie yeah. pool. Fill it with soil, mm-hmm. spend another ten dollars on seeds, and then they get a pretty large medley of, of vegetables. Yeah, and um, at, at the roof, um, Annie teaches workshops every Sunday on urban gardening, urban farming, urban vegetable growing, and uh, we've been getting great turnouts to it. And aligned with that, you know, she addresses. Um, you, you just have to look at your lighting situation. You can do this on a balcony. You can do it in a window. There's different. There, there's several different levels. Of yeah, until you get the notice and the like super that they're going to throw everything off yeah. the fire escape. <laughs> you just, you just have to ignore that. I know. I've tried, <laughs> and then my plants disappeared. But but yeah, if you're resourceful, you can really grow. You can definitely grow vegetables in a pretty small amount. Of area with a, a reasonable amount of effort as well. Do you guys have like a, an email list or a website some people can sign up to to see when these workshops or how they happen? Yes, definitely. For uh, for the farm, you can go to www.rooftopfarms.org, and um, it's pretty easy to find the, the email. The email is rooftopfarmer at gmail dot com. Cool. And then our listeners and, uh, can then maybe come and visit and join Annie for some of these workshops and get started with their own. Yeah, definitely. 
Cool. We have volunteer days at most Sundays. Most Sundays. Mm-hmm. Except for when you mm-hmm. want to get out of the city. <laughs> except for when we're on vacation. Yeah, nice. So Heather was mentioning that sometimes landlords show some resistance to these projects, but I was actually reading that that, time, that tide also seems to be turning and that landlords are now more open to these, these ideas. Is that accurate, Adam? I mean... Uh, I mean, it's that's something that I'm not. People ask me, you know, I'm, I give them all these sort of technical explanations on like, you know, if you combine plants together, you know, you'll get you can double your yield by doing three dimensional gardening and all these different things. And they're like, that's great. Um, how do I convince my landlord to let me do this? And I'm, you know, I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> right. that's that's a good question. Like, I, you know, I couldn't originally do it on my roof either, you know. So uh-huh. it's uh, how did you get your landlord? I, to I mean, I, I did it on somebody else's roof. Oh, okay. I was going to say, did you just do it and see what happens? Yeah. I mean, that, that's one way to go about it. Yeah. I'm not sure I could recommend that, you know. No, I know. But We're I'm not telling anyone that. to go just do it, but yeah. I wouldn't be surprised about that fact, though. I just I feel like it's definitely a clear tide. Yeah, like as you said, a change of the tide and. Um, any landlord in his right mind that isn't you know, yeah. too paranoid about lawsuits and stuff will just say, yeah, go grow some vegetables. It's great for the building. It'll, yeah. Yeah, and if they like the to tenant. eat, we could give them you know, a little throwback once it's ready to harvest. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, I mean, originally when I first started hearing about rooftop gardens, I was like, okay, so how does the soil and the water not just like leak through the roof? You know, mm-hmm. obviously, you as an engineer who, you know, Good before question, you started Heather. all this, like thought about these issues. And I know upstairs from where we are broadcasting right now, we've got a rooftop garden and they laid down rails and they've got planter boxes. I mean, yeah, raised beds. Something has to happen to keep from the roof from caving in. How right? do you equip a roof to be gardened? Um, well, the roof that we're working on required no structural supplements. It, the the beams, the I beams that were already in the roof were strong enough. And um, Good Green, the installation company, put in the the, the green roof, which which includes a, a level of roof stop, like a hard plastic, and then a water collection system, which is basically like um, discs, almost like little mini hockey pucks mm-hmm. huh. in a in a bed of plastic, and then a couple layers of felt below and above that, and then the soil just right above that. Yeah. Um, so that protects the roof basically with the roof step, and then um, and they used a certified structural engineer to give the sign off that it could hold the weight. Oh. And, and how much weight we're talking about? Maybe thousands of tons, right? Um, yeah, a couple couple hundred thousand pounds. Oh wow! Um, and basically, get it up there, a crane. <laughs> no way! Yeah, they rented a crane for a day, <laughs> blocked off the street on West Street, right off the water. And um, and for two days there were sixty two sacks that each weighed almost four thousand pounds wow. of rooftop soil. That is badass. Each one on its own pallet. They came up in um, a tractor trailer from Pennsylvania. That's sick. There's, yeah, it must so. give you a nice feeling of satisfaction to see something like that actually start to take shape. Yeah, it's a really exciting day. Just you know, to when really what, just, when was this? Um, that was April 24th, I believe. Oh, wow. 24 yeah. days after we got started over here. <laughs> so, so, that, the, so then... Oh, nine's a big year. <laughs> yeah, big year. Things are exploding. If I had my sound effect on, I would just give it a big boom right now. <laughs> so, so then, so how many, how many people did it take to lay this soil to sort of seed it to... Well, they had a crew for that day of, um, installing the roof. And then um, basically turned it over to us, the farmers, the day after, which I guess would be the 25th. <laughs> and then um, we, we had a slew of friends, and actually it was almost all friends, maybe a couple of volunteers that we didn't know yet, just mm-hmm. that had emailed us that had heard 
room of the project. Cool. And um, and like that was such a great omen, you know. Like the day when we really right. needed people, we didn't even ask anyone explicitly to come. People just come to you. Just told them we'd be working on it. Luckily, it was a Saturday, uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, we had like that was the that was the last weekend in April when it got to be like ninety. So we had like you know eight people have them at their shirts off and just shovel. I think I remember that weekend. Shoveling dirt and shoveled out the walkways, and we had four big sacks of wood chips. And in a day and a half, we had all the beds sculpted out. And then the next day, we were putting in the peas. And, um, you know, yeah, you just. You had to start those early, right? Exactly. The peas, one of the first uh, crops by, you got to plant, right? By late April, we were none too early, actually. But um, the very forgiving May and June that we had were very good to the peas. So yeah. it all worked out. Thanks. So, how did you protect yourself against something going wrong? I mean, this is the kind of project that you sink so much money into that you have to have like all your T's crossed and all your I's dotted. I mean, how did you convince <laughs> Brooklyn stages and Broadway stages, Broadway stages and good fa- and good greens that this was going to work? Um, well, it was. I, I think it worked out well. I don't know how much of a challenge it was. I don't know how much doubt they had actually, but. Um, you know, we we had so, several conversations, and we put together a plan, and then um, and then it went through. And and you know, I, I was telling them like, "Hey, I'm going to quit my job next week." You know, like, <laughs> like you sure like, this is going to work? Yeah, and I was sweating it to be honest. You know, uh-huh. it was like, what what if that check never gets written or whatever? Uh-oh. Like, what if the truck never comes? That's or, where Adam comes in, and he can basically consult. Well, hold yeah. on, just one second, guys. We actually got a caller on the line. Let's see if uh, they got a question a for us. Cool. Hello. Do we have a caller on the line? Yeah, hi. Hey, who's this? This is Andrew from Brooklyn. Andrew from Brooklyn. What's going on, Andrew from Brooklyn? You're here with the Heritage Farm Report. you got two urban gardeners with us. How's it going? Hi, guys. Uh, I was calling to see which vegetables or crops you've had the most success with in your rooftop gardens. Do some things work better than others? It's a great uh, question. Good question. Who, who's going to answer that? Both of them are going to answer. All right. Uh, we'll start with Adam. Okay. Well, I say there's. Um, it it depends again on the situation. I've had a lot of problems with corn because uh, of squirrels, and then I've had <laughs> corn also has a six foot root. So, so yeah. I mean, oh. you can you can grow dwarf dwarf corn, but you can you know, um, corn is difficult and. Um, also, uh, I've had some problems with the broccoli and cabbage because of squirrels again, or some kind of rodents. I think it's squirrels. And um, other than that, I've I've had a lot of success with you know everything: tomatoes, lettuce, uh, you know, cucumbers, melons, uh, eggplant, anything you know, virtually peas, beans, everything you know. Mm-hmm. What about you, Ben? Um, actually, fairly similar, but for slightly different reasons. But the same things: um, lettuce, um, tomatoes. Peas, beans, eggplants, peppers, all the fruiting uh, vegetables have been very, very prolific. Tons of blossoms. Um, and then the, the only thing that I've had a little bit less luck with is um, the Napa cabbage, the cabbages and, like, the long brassicas that take about 120 days, which is broccoli, cauliflower. and Same um, ones that he had problems with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Although not because of squirrels, but yeah. probably because of, um, well, have to do a little bit more testing, but it's other a function of the timing or um, the shallowness of the soil, or, or how we planted it, but uh-huh. not giving up on it. So you guys, well, thank you for that. Thank you for that call oh, in. Yeah, thanks, like we got, yeah. Um, we'll sorry. keep going. <laughs> Just wanted to say thanks and goodbye. So, how how high off the ground is the roof that you're working with? Um, 
I'd say it's about 40 feet. Yeah, because I was wondering, how do you guys get up there now to check on things? I mean, originally you needed a crane. Is Do you have to go from inside the building, outside the building? Yeah, there's actually a stairway inside and a stairway outside. Okay. <laughs> so between the two, you get up to the top. <laughs> so A lot of steps. <clears throat> so you think that r- rodents and things of that nature are actually getting all the way up there? My roof's safe. I'm, I'm, it really depends on the roof yeah. and if there's tree access. Yeah, because yeah. I've heard of a couple low, lower-to-the-ground roofs that have had a couple problems with rodents. Yeah, I, I've, yeah, I think like for broccoli and, and, uh, and things like that, the, it may be rats. I actually haven't seen what's, what's eating it. I, I, I'm guessing it's squirrels because I've seen a lot of squirrels out there, but at night, you know, I'm not, you I'm not out there all the time. So I mean, it would make sense. Squirrels are more more depth yeah climbers. and there's there's trees on this this roof i'm thinking of specifically there's trees this is a you know right up on the second floor roof um you know another roof i'm working on has cabbage doing okay that's a you know 60 feet up in the air um and uh yeah i've been your roof as far i don't think there's any trees or it's, it's pretty safe from squirrels right for the most part yeah. yeah i mean you know squirrels they they don't really seem to bother most of these other crops i was talking about they may take like a bite of a tomato and sort of ruin it, but they don't really like it. So, huh. so you you touched briefly upon dwarf dwarf varieties of the same crops. <clears throat> Excuse me. How do you have you been modifying different crops to to suit the needs of city growing more or less? Like what Ben was telling me that you're you're getting into some pretty specific science. Like, talk to us about some of your mad scientist experiments that are making <laughs> that are making vegetables. Or fruits more m- more city friendly. Uh, I guess I'm. I, I don't know. I guess you're. Are you talking about selective breeding and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah. I mean, whatever I'm, you do, that's weird and high tech. <laughs> None. No, very. Mo- most yeah. of it's. I wouldn't call 3D it high tech. Three D farming. What does that even mean? Yeah. Dwarf. I, I, I what think, does that mean? Well, uh, is that three? Yeah. Three dimensional. I uh, a friend of mine, uh, Ki Shu, who also he teaches classes on sort of back backyard gardening uh, in the East Village. Um, he he and I uh, we taught classes together last year, and he we, we sort of came up with this idea of three dimensional and four dimensional gardening, and this it's sort of um, it's it's based on idea in permaculture, which is uh, stacking functions, and essentially agriculture the way you know conventional agriculture the way we we, we understand it is two dimensional, um, and what I mean by that is you know you're farming in rows you're you know you know you're you're out in a field. And it's sort of like mono. It's one crop, you know, two-dimensional space, just a bunch of rows. And you know, by sort of mimicking a forest uh, with multiple canopy layers, you can get sort of, very, you know, like tomatoes uh, really intercropped with peppers, and then lettuce, which like sh- more shade underneath that. And it benefits both plants because lettuce in the open sun will have a very hard time, you know, in, in July and August. Wow. Whereas very if it's under some so that's shade, that's permaculture yeah. like executed mm-hmm. to the max. Yeah, seriously. Wow, that's really that's really cool. Um, Lorenzo, I think we have another actual caller on the line right now. You guys are popular today. Great. Hello. Let's hear it. I think we. Might. Hi. Hello. Do you have a caller Hi. on the line? Hi. Who's this? Uh, this is Fabrizio. I'm from Brazil. Hi. And hey, I have a question. Why can we Why can we grow bananas in this neighborhood? In Brooklyn? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or in Brazil? Uh, well, Kiwis. <laughs> it's, hot. it's hot in New York. We should be able to grow bananas. Yeah. Who's got the I, answer? Well, I've, I don't know. I've, I've grown some bananas in the city. I, uh, you know, that was, uh, if you have a south-facing window, and uh, you can grow bananas that'll provide produce fruit, um, you can even buy them in the city, 
at certain garden centers. They're sort of a miniature variety of bananas. Do they bloom though? And they'll bloom and they'll give you fruit. And uh, I've had limit. I had to sort of move out of that apartment, so I sort of had to cut the experiment short. But I had good results for about a year. And um, you can also grow bananas. Uh, you can grow them anywhere in the city. They won't. They won't give you fruit, but you'll have some really interesting looking plants. That, yeah, nice banana that leaves, might, yeah, right? Big, big leaves. Yeah, yeah you, you can cook with banana leaves. You, yeah. yeah, you see them even outdoors in potters, like yeah, in, people, in, around people the city and stuff like that. Just they just they, they won't survive the winter though. So I've because never bananas, seen them bloom, though. because they you, take like up to you know around a year, around twelve months to give you fruit. Mm. You know they can't quite make it, but you can easily do it indoors if you have a sunny window. And um, cool. and that's something I'm going to be working on. Is sort of I'm trying to do some tropical fruit combinations yeah. like do you, bonsai a, mangoes. do you have a blog really or anything cool. how do we keep up with all these experiments that you're doing where do you record <laughs> yeah, all this yeah. stuff are you gonna come out with a book one day what what's your deal definitely what? a book you got maybe, it. maybe when, when ben yeah. and I, you know winter comes along yeah <laughs> when you stop working every you gotta day. get your hands on his journal yeah, <laughs> yeah i mean we uh the, i have i have a website it's uh, rooftopfood.com okay. and it's right now it's 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 a new one it's pretty it's mostly just sort of like class schedules and some you know some photos and stuff cool but. so we could go to rooftopfood.com and then we yeah. could go to rooftop farms.com dot org dot org rooftopfarms rooftopfarms dot org and rooftopfood.com yeah okay just so those are should just, we should just combine them yeah. we should have you know well you better be linking to each other Th- thanks for the thanks, call Fabrizio. so but I want to get back to this point of using the garden to garden and well but before we le- leave the the question that we were talking about the different um the different corn are you guys not experimenting at all with like specific heirloom are you like only doing heirloom varieties I mean would a dwarfed corn not be considered heirloom because it's con- kind of modified in a sense yeah we have some dwarf corn actually too up on the roof and uh, it hasn't blossomed or bloomed or anything yet, too. But it's it's doing well. Um, I mean, it's a dwarf. It it could be heir- it could be heirloom, but probably not. It's probably a hybrid. Um, I think the ones I grew are F one hybrids. But I mean, they're it, 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 the original corn. You know, come it comes from South America. It was about the size of a. It was about an inch long, okay. an inch and a half or something. So the original corn is is pretty small. Right. So. There are heirloom dwarf corns out okay, there. Okay, just wondering. I mean, yeah. I, I always like to ask because I, I know we try and keep it, you know, really diverse and try and always stick with our heirloom and keep with our heritage and, you know, the whole network. And we always got to ask those questions. Mm-hmm. So did you pull this concept of using the garden to garden, like from natural models, like, you know, rainforest models or natural, you know, other other farming models? Like, where did you come up with this idea of, like, Placing the plants in different places so that they would, ben- so that the way they grow would benefit each other's growth. I, I mean, it, it's I mean, a pretty. To me, that is genius. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a pretty old idea. It's. Uh, it's new to a lot of, you know, especially. I mean, in, in Western farming, especially industrial farming, you know, in in the last hundred years, we've really sort of lost a lot of uh, this traditional knowledge, and um, and other cultures really have, you know, perfected this, you know, much 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 further than we have. Uh, probably the most famous example of this is called companion planting. is another is another way to think about it, and that's uh, is the is the Aztecs. They used they had they grew corn, squash, and beans together. The they called sisters. it the three yeah the yes, three sisters. Exactly. And and that's, that was elementary school. I'm like thinking <laughs> back now. Not for now. me. Yeah. And they, this is all news to me. Three sisters and the three kings. Exactly. What were the three kings, though? Remind me, because I only remember three sisters. I was just joking. I, I thought so. I'm like he's got to be messing with me. 
And yeah, and the three sisters, it's really just the corn is a, you know, it, it, it's a tall stalk and the beans can grow up it so you don't have to provide a trellis for the beans. And then the squash goes along the ground and, and keeps the moisture in the soil and absorbs extra sunlight that would otherwise, you know, hit the soil, dry it out and be wasted. So it's like you get three sort of crops in, in a single space. They work together. And you sort of triple your output and it's very efficient. But, um, and you this know, is what you would recommend for your kiddie pool model. I've I've tried some sort of three sisters. Like I said, I've had trouble with corn just because of squirrels. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe uh, are you trying three sisters banner? Yeah, one? we have one. It, it's going really well. Yeah. So you tried them independently squirrels, and yeah. with the three sisters. Um, yeah, except for the corn, but the beans and the squash are. And also which is working better or equally well? Um, they're they're working probably equally well, but um, but the three sisters is a really good way to like get a very dense. Um, you know, concentration into a small amount of area. And as Adam said, there's the synergies and the the beans, for example, have the, the legume, legumes, the bean family, they provide a lot of nitrogen to the soil. Mm-hmm. So they actually fuel the other plants that are with them. And, um, and also um, incorporated other ideas from Adam also, actually. Like, I remember in the spring, Adam came by. We were just getting all the crops going. We had some detailed maps and everything, and it's like, um, tomatoes are going to be here, peppers are going to be here. And, and he said, I would just take handfuls of lettuce seed and just throw it. <laughs> you know? Really? Just like <laughs> cover it. Like there's no reason why anything should be bare. Because it would just pop up and it wouldn't really affect anything else? I mean, because be- there's not much of a and root? It'll yeah, the exactly. Soil for the next round, right? Well, it'll it'll actually have a negative impact. I mean, it'll use up nutrients, but not okay. a very significant. And it won't kill the other plants with like the you know big roots yeah. that. Well, maybe you said what plant had like six foot roots? The, was that the corn, corn. right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's you have to be careful where you put that. Then certain plants have conflicting roots. Certain plants have roots that benefit each other. So right. it's sort of you have to know, and, and so a lot of it we just don't know about. It. And what's cool about this whole this whole field permaculture, you know, rooftop gardening, some is that there's just Every you know, there's no information. There's not no information. There's you know, everyone's still experimenting, com- combining different plants together, and there's just so much you know, so much work to be done, so much research to be done, and uh, and this is really like you know, you're talking about the downturn, yet this is still popular. I think one of the things we learned in the downturn is that you know, this after all these series of bubbles we've had, you know, the tech bubble and this, <laughs> yeah, it's like internet housing. It's everything. it's like you know that really the innovation going on. I think nowadays is not technological innovation. That's still going on, but well, it's more it's more sort of cultural innovation, yeah. which would also be agricultural innovation. It's almost and, going and backwards. It's, yeah. it's almost going backwards. Well, I think it's I think it's going forwards, but it's going in forwards, a different but using way. Using a backwards yeah. way, you know, we're looking going back to our we're, we're looking, yeah, we're looking, yeah, to the pre-industrial models. Yeah, and combining modern technology with uh, you know with traditional knowledge, I think is really a way, that way to put it. Is mm-hmm. really, I think, really the you know we're going to see a lot of that mm-hmm. coming out. And this is one bubble. I mean, the sustainable agriculture bubble is a bubble that can't burst. I mean, it's you know, I mean, it you know, if we, if we can get sustainable agriculture, then we'll, that'll solve a lot of our problems. You know, right. and then I would think so and hope so. So let me ask you from these. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say Please. one other thing about having new people entering agriculture is that, um, you know, they're, they're kind of questioning old ideas and stuff, kind of like what Adam was saying. And it applies to traditional farming, too. But um, the more new people that try it, that get into it, you know, just like anything else, um, the more people that play basketball, the better the level of NBA basketball is going to be. Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, people are coming up with new subtle ideas and breaking down old rules and stuff like that. 
and uh, there's a lot of tried and tested rules that definitely are true and work but there's always going to be something that you can do to mm-hmm. you always got to test the system better, yeah. right and it's a numbers game i mean you need you need more people to be able to execute more little experiments because mm-hmm. you you can only do so much you can only take so many risks with your farm because you're trying to make a living off it you yeah, know and you're, true, you're trying to make true. it successful right. but if you, you have 100 farmers somewhere. and 98% yeah. of their crops they know they can do one thing and count on them and they have that 2% of wiggle room you know you have a lot more possibilities for finding mm-hmm. out what works. Yeah, and we, and it's really important that people are communicating that, like you know, the conferences and like, yeah, and like you know, farmers are actually using blogs and stuff like that. So and, cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was going to ask because I know we have to wrap this up shortly, but like, how are you going to start? I mean, have you or how are you going to start making money off of this? I mean, I know you said you finally left your job, pretty much you Ben, to do this. So uh-huh. is it started to become profitable now? Um, yeah, well, I've, we've been selling everything that we've grown, and um, and it's been some going, pretty big names, right? What's There's that? Some pretty big names. Pretty right? big names. We've <laughs> <laughs> been selling to Mar- Marlowe and Sons is our first customer. They're extremely They're supportive. Such great now local they want supporters. exclusive rights. Uh, <laughs> oh no way! <laughs> and then um, Anella in the neighborhood, just around the street. Um, I have to say that one night they called around 7 p.m. and asked if I could get them a, a bin of greens, and I had it to them by about 7:25. Oh, nice! That's pretty cool. They That's were cool. in a oh, they another. Had, yeah, they probably had nothing to serve for sale that night. <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, but that, that was part of the. That's the, the it's easier than going to the store. <laughs> that might be a first in New York City. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Seriously? Maybe at Roberta. Maybe at. The, <laughs> Well, I picked the, the first too. tomato here at Roberta's by accident, but oh. anyhow, I <laughs> touched sure it and it fell off, yet. which means it was ready, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> and then uh-huh. I've also been um, st- selling a little bit to Eat Records on Messerol Street in Greenpoint, okay. cool. and then Vesta, a trattoria, Italian place in Astoria, Queens. Yeah, and there's high demand for you in the East Village, we know that. <laughs> <laughs> and so now, so how... What's the way to make this this model more profitable? I mean, is it more roofs? Is it maximizing the amount of roofs we have? What's the? Um, I think both of those, yeah. Um, by the the farm is six thousand square feet, and by any traditional farming standard, six thousand square feet is tiny, tiny, mm-hmm. if, if not nothing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but as we discussed, we're we're cropping it extremely aggressively. There's never a, you know more than a square inch that's not that doesn't have something growing in it. And along those lines, we're composting very aggressively. Also, we're being—it's been really fun being resourceful. Uh, we got hair from a salon in Park Slope, which has a ton of nitrogen in it. No way. We're about to get a this load of cocoa. It will, yeah, <laughs> it will be composted. It will be composted. It'll break down Don't into pure nutrients. Cr- <laughs> uh, we're getting chocolate nibs from uh, from Mass Brothers. Um, you know the the Acme Fish Shop. Acme Fish. Um, has pr- proposed that they could give us a lot of their like used dead fish for mm-hmm. us to compost. Wow. It's really cool, and, and it's, it's really gonna help yeah. the soil. I and that's part of the, the what also I was talking about with like bringing the community yeah, together and say, creating this whole totally. circular system in the city with what would elsewise be garbage. What it would get shipped to Staten Island. Right. People are gonna start giving into it us. It ingrains a different way so. of thinking into people's heads that if yeah. it becomes finally people are catching massive. on. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, another man's one man's trash is a, another man's treasure. And then mm-hmm. the next person's meal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I would I would add to that that uh, from trash to meal in about how many months? That's yeah. is that not sustainable? You know, I think I mean, it might be. It's, well, it's, it's our it's our ultimate resource, you know. And we produce a lot of it in New York, so definitely. I mean, it's and also that's really the benefit of you know of, of one of the reasons I got into this. The benefit of rooftop farming 
uh, or, you know, community gardens or anything, you know, producing our own food in the city is and why it's so green so so much much more greener than any you know regular green roof that's just you know sitting there will do and not that much more expensive or you know there's cheap ways to do it as well is that if the you know we have i forget how many thousands of trucks that come into the city every day and how many thousands of uh of of trash trucks that leave every day and the the number one thing they're bringing in is food and the top, the top two things they're taking out is food waste and paper. And, and packaging. And yeah. packaging, exactly. Totally. And so basically, you can, you know, we could process the paper on site and compost it and compost the food. I mean, we could basically solve the whole urban pollution, air pollution thing. You know, congestion pricing, if, you, if New York City was growing its own food, which it could easily do on rooftops, you know, aside from the beef, you know, maybe, yeah. and the milk. Like, we could pretty much grow all <laughs> our own food on rooftops. we could maybe do with the goats if we could goat drink milk. the goat milk. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, like uh, 2010. Yeah. Up until up until the 50s, Central <laughs> Park still had a lot of sheep, you know, and sheep yeah. meadow. So it's uh, I mean that that's really where the the pollution problem comes from. So it could solve you know the waterway pollution as well as the air pollution. One thing we won't be able to do is ever stop that smell in Staten Island. <laughs> no matter how much we try, it's always going to smell in Staten Island. <laughs> but it's okay. I mean, We're I find this fascinating. It. I, I it's so exciting to interview you two. I think you guys are super badass and at the forefront of really what is going to be the next big thing in the way people it live has in America. To be. Like, I'm I truly mean, fascinated by it. Yeah, We're losing land, too, so people are going to... I mean, the water levels are rising. We're going to have to start becoming more resourceful with our rooftops, and it's not just going to be in New York City that this model is going to you know, be recreated. Mm-hmm. It's going to be in more places, in more urban areas than just like you know the city area that we're so familiar with. And, and what we're doing is, is still kind of a drop in the bucket. We have to be realistic yeah. about it. But picture it if it was on every other or every roof across the whole city then it would really be substantial and And we'd be using all the hair (laughs) amongst other things all the chocolate yeah i can't even imagine (laughs) but i mean it yeah it's it's and really you know you don't need you don't need thousands of dollars or even hundreds of dollars to do this you can you can you don't even need a kiddie pool you can any kind of container you can go up you know get on the roof just one way or another <laughs> yeah right <laughs> go to the website but yeah and the classes i teach they're all free you know so cool. if um if can you can you tell us your site again it's rooftopfood.com rooftopfood.com and your rooftop farms.org <laughs> awesome we'll, so we'll basically cross, we'll cross link that so, so basically <laughs> if you case. guys are tr- if you even have an inkling of starting something on your roof just go to these websites and just do it just start see what happens yeah. and if you got any questions send them to these guys and like my grandma says i mean the plants want to grow they want to live just like people do you know yeah we all live under this sun let's make it happen <laughs> well this was really a landmark farm report for us yeah this is great so thank you guys so much for joining us take care and enjoy your weekend thanks for having us and thanks, thanks. to hearst ranch for sponsoring this program thanks hearst bye